Hi, this is presenter Crystal Dinapoli, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R each Sunday afternoon. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU. Prior to starting Indigenuity, I do want to acknowledge that Triple R is broadcasting from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, whose sovereignty was never ceded. They're the custodians of these beautiful lands, skies and waterways since time immemorial, and I want to pay my respects to elders past and present. And uh, we're going to head into this theme. Essentially, I've structured today's show around the fact that last week I missed the show because I was at Melbourne Writers Festival. And so I thought it would be, uh, you know, a, a nice move to share with you all some of the stuff that I was doing on that weekend. So one of the events that I was a part of, which I mentioned sort of before, is an event called Queer Stories. So Queer Stories invites leading LGBTQI plus voices to share the story that they've always wanted to tell, but have never been asked to, showcasing unexpected tales of pride, prejudice, love and resilience. So it's hosted by the powerhouse that is Maeve Marsden, and our show included a range of voices from drag artist Shane Jenick, who is also known as Courtney Act. Best-selling author C.S. Packett, who is the author of the Dark Rise series. Writer, historian and podcaster Eve Rees, whose recent memoir is called All About Eve and uh, is, you know, just a fantastic human being. And also award-winning poet and novelist Omar Sekar. And that's just crazy. That lineup (laughs) terrifies me uh, because I'm, I'm definitely a fan of all four of these people. Uh, So to speak alongside them, you know, it's a little bit nerve-wracking at the time. Um, And I think also something that's sort of, I think, probably worth pointing out prior to sharing what I'm about to share is sort of how chaotic it was on the night. So if anyone's familiar with queer stories, there are over 250 to 300 different um, shows of it. Essentially, we have a speaker sharing a story that they've written, usually they haven't shared before, that goes for around, say, 10 minutes or so. Uh, And you know, I've listened to so many of these and a lot of the stories tend to be quite, um, you know, some of them can be quite humorous, uplifting, you know, there's uh, a lot of passion and feeling in a lot of them, but they tend to be something that's sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, the one, the ones that I experience, they tend to be, uh, you know, very powerful, but sort of upbeat in a way, not all of them, but some of them, most of them. And so um, it was very funny because with that in mind, you know, I was trying to think of a story I could share. And a lot of the stories I feel that I would share don't happen to be very happy, I feel. And that's just a consequence of the life that I live. And so I was like, well, this is okay because in the nature of queer stories, you know, there'll be probably four other sort of upbeat, engaging stories to help balance this out. And then sure enough, on the night, we turn up and find out that out of the five stories that we will be presenting that night, four of them were about grief and one of them was about raunchy sex. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so it was a wonderful night. Maeve really, like, she wove these stories together, these five different stories together in a way that flowed so beautifully. Because as soon as I heard that comment, I was like, ooh, <laughs> this is going to be a roller coaster of a night. Um, but in the end, it was put together so wonderfully. And all of these stories are going to end up on the Queer Stories podcast in time. 
uh, it's not called In Time, just saying In Time, it'll be on the Queer Stories podcast. Uh, but I've decided that I'm going to share the story that I wrote on Indigenuity today um, with Maeve's blessing, uh, you know, to- totally, totally fine. I'm a, I'm a little bit nervous, which I probably shouldn't admit. Um, so this story is one that I wrote, which it might be somewhat familiar to some of you who have actually read our book, Astronomy Sky Country, but I've never told it in this way before. And there's a lot of, I guess, aspects of the story which I haven't told before. And in writing it, I ended up realizing that there are strong links to key moments of my life that I had not perceived before writing it. So it was, I don't know, it was a good exercise for me. Um, and I hope that you can take something from me sharing it. It's just, it's just a part of my life um, and it's not about raunchy sex. So that's all I sort of have to say in that regard. So let's begin. And look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a bit cheesy. All right, this was a performance. This is something that's supposed to take you with me. So it's sort of hard as a broadcaster transitioning from my voice as an announcer to, okay, now we're going to uh, slow it down and uh, hopefully sort of set the scene for this story. But here we go. I feel like I'm floating in space. My back pressed atop of a secondhand trampoline to which loose springs desperately cling. They are struggling under the weight of three observers, two children and their mother. I hear the rustle of leaves caught in the fervour of a light summer wind. The air is warm and inviting, like a welcoming embrace from country wrapping me in the comfort of home. Beside me I hear the murmurs of my companions, the excited whispers of my older sister Caitlin as she too finds herself drawn to the spectacle above us. The soothing tones of my mother's voice, as she responds to Caitlin's candid curiosity in kind. Above, unimpeded dark skies showcase an uncountable collection of stars, shimmering as though they're performing just for us. They're surrounded by the kind of darkness that one can only find in these rural places. My eyes flick around as I try to absorb what I'm seeing, This is the first time in my short life that I had really looked at the night sky. The stars are seemingly endless. At first my eyes are drawn to the brightest of them. So many luminous spots demanding to be seen, twinkling gently to their own rhythm. Blues, reds, oranges, colours beyond the bright white that they initially present. I feel weightless. I feel like I'm falling upward into the ocean of bright lights above me, floating amongst their brilliance. My sister's voice grows louder. It pulls me out of my awe-induced trance. She's thrilled about something. She has found something more within these stars that I have not. Ah, the short-lived visit of a shooting star, she claims. Oh, And and another shooting star. And then another. And another. I feel a frustration brewing within me. The heat rises to my face. Why do these special stars continuously elude me? Are we not looking at the exact same skies? Are we not seeing the same darkness and the same vivid colours beyond the light? No, apparently not. I can't see what she's seeing. I voice this frustration. 
My sister is amused at my envy, or at least it feels like she is. But the comforting melodic tones of my mother's voice interrupt. She reassures me. How about we start simply? She begins to describe an array of constellations, apparently known by many. In the low light, I see her hand guide my gaze upward. The Southern Cross? The Hunter, Orion? My sister exclaims as she spots them too. My frustration grows as my eyes continue to betray me. Perhaps I'm not worthy of their performance. My mum speaks again. Can you see the Seven Sisters? They are faint, but they are my favourite. They are a group of girls huddled together in strength and safety. There's something that draws me to them. The power of feminine love and protection. They are always pursued by Orion as he chases them across the skies. But they always have each other. My mother is the youngest of her sisters. I am the second oldest of mine. I can't spot any of the features she tries to show me. But I try not to wallow in the failure. Instead, I cling to this gift she has given me. I don't know yet what it is, but I feel the spark of it being ignited within my heart. My mum's words had inspired me. I spent many nights since then gazing upward and finding myself lost within the skies. In the next decade, I overcame many, many hardships to become one of the first people in my family to finish high school, and then the very first to go to university. I was offered the chance to prove myself in a semester-long entry course to get into my dream science degree. All that stood between me and this goal was a semester of hard work and three final exams. I sat two of my exams without incident, but it was in the days prior to my third and final exam, the one that would secure my place as a student of science, where I was awoken by a flurry of calls. The voice on the other end of the phone spoke the five words that would change me forever. Crystal, your mum is dead. My mum had passed away very suddenly at the young age of 37, leaving me and my six siblings behind. I had to break the news to some of my siblings, the youngest of which was only six years old. I didn't know what words could comfort someone so young in the throes of grief so I explained it the only way I knew how. I told them, Mum is gone now, and that it might not make a lot of sense, and it might not seem very fair. But she has work to do. She has found her place in the skies. She has become the star that will guide us in our lives. You will see her. She's the very first star to appear to you at night. When I return on my path... Mum's words echo in my head and my soul. I return to science and I pursue the skies as an astrophysicist, grounded in the cultural ends of our Gomorrah culture. I learn, I teach, I create. I travel around the country sharing what I know. I write, I speak, I share. I become a storyteller much in the way that she once was. Once again... I find myself lying beneath pristine dark skies, losing myself within them. Many years have passed since I first gazed at these stars with my mother. The stars look the same, but we have all changed greatly. 
Caitlin is no longer a child, but has since become the mother of two girls of her own, my beautiful nieces. I have changed in many ways myself. My life has since been enriched with a deep knowledge of the skies, but has also suffered many great losses too. I feel the harsh crunch of sand under my back, a clear contrast to the supportive weightlessness of the trampoline at home. My work takes me places that I never dreamed I would one day experience. The night is again warm, as it once was, but the air's embrace carries the unusual scent of salt. Unfamiliar sounds encompass me. The crashing waves of the beach are just beyond the tips of my feet. I feel overwhelmed by their calls. So far, I had spent most of my life in the bounds of a landlocked rural town, always dreaming of a closeness to the water-hugged edges of this country. I inherited this longing from my mother, who had always dreamed to one day see a beach for herself. This thought cuts me as I feel myself pulled back into those memories of that night with her. My body lies here on the beach, but my mind drifts into our past. The curiosity she gifted me begun as a mere spark, but has since evolved into a roaring fire that courses through my bones. I feel a bitterness, a sadness. For now I can see everything she wanted me to see. The Southern Cross, as it sits atop the head of the dark emu in the sky. Orion, the hunter. Now a familiar friend I wait to visit in the warmer months. Still, a bitterness, a sadness persists. Casting my eyes deep into the ocean of stars above me, I challenge myself. I follow the gaze of Orion in his eternal pursuit. I look for the sisters. I look for the sisters that my mother had shown us, the faint cluster of stars that have guided our ancestors for millennia before us. I look for the sisters whose resilience and camaraderie remind me to fiercely protect and love my darling sisters that my mother gave me. I look for the sisters who I now cling to as I desperately dig into the depths of my memories, hoping to maybe catch the sound of her voice one last time. I still feel her company in these moments. She sits with me as I look to the sisters. She walks alongside me as I pursue a life dedicated to the skies. Her spirit emanates within the curiosity of my darling little nieces, who sit and listen as I tell them of the sisters in the words that she had once bestowed upon me and her mother. Suddenly, I see a flash of light. The once elusive shooting star finally crosses the skies in front of me. Although my mother is no longer of this earth, she endures within the stars. Although the waves of the beach eluded her, she is at home in the ocean above. So that's my piece. And, you know, in writing this, I realised just how much the stars have played a role in these key moments throughout my life. How tightly they are tied to my mum. As well as the specific focus of these seven sisters. In, in my studies, like at, and also outside of university, I've actually done quite a bit of research into the Pleiades or the Seven Sisters and their significance for many different Aboriginal communities. And it's, I don't know, I feel like I actually hadn't made those connections with all those key moments and even the words that I spoke to my younger siblings until writing this piece. 
So I want to talk to you all about a crisis that has been unfolding across a decade on Gomorrah country, just to make sure you're all aware of it, because it is in um, some pretty, it's passing some pretty intense milestones, and it will have a significant impact for not just Gomorrah country, but uh, I think for wider Australia, um, if it goes ahead. So the Australian oil and gas company called Santos has been attempting to launch a coal seam gas field in the town of Narrabri on Gomorrah country. They currently have federal and state approval to develop this gas field over 95,000 hectares of state forest, as well as privately owned farmland, where they're wanting to build up to 850 gas wells. So I actually wrote about this in our book, Astronomy Sky Country. And so I wanted to start by reading that piece and also the contributions that were made by my co-author Carly, because our, <laughs> with, especially with this book, our writing is so entwined. Um, so there's no way of um, separating any of this. And this is something that means a lot to both of us. I was discussing it in the book in the context of light pollution. It was in, within that sort of chapter. We have a chapter called Dark Skies and regular listeners of Indigenuity will possibly recall um, how I've spoken about the insidious impact of light pollution on both human and animal health. It's not just an astronomy issue. It's not just a cultural heritage issue. It's, it's genuinely scarier than most people are aware of. So um, this project also ties into this theme of light pollution, which is why it was first mentioned, but um, that is sort of the least of the problems facing country with the approval of the project. And so I wanted just to read an excerpt from the book because I thought that could be uh, a good taster for you all. <laughs> you know, I, I, I chat on uh, indigenuity so much about Aboriginal astronomy. Uh, I haven't actually read an excerpt from the book yet. So I thought maybe that would be a good thing in theme with me celebrating the fact that I missed last week because I was at Melbourne Writers Festival. So essentially you're hearing the taster of the stuff that I was yarning on about there. So a source of light pollution that is particularly relevant to Gamilaray skies is that of gas flares erupting from natural gas plants. Gas flares are an integral part of the operational and safety management system for gas plants, meaning that wherever such a plant is erected, the flares are largely unavoidable. The flares do not just impact astronomical observations with the excess light they emit, but are symbolic of the ecological harm that gas plants bring to their surroundings. In Gamilaray country, Gomorrah country, 20 kilometres from the New South Wales town of Narrabri, a natural gas development project has been proposed. It has faced widespread pro protests in the past five years due to the ecological, astronomical and cultural risks that it poses. The land for which the project is proposed includes the Pilliga Forests on the sacred grounds of Gamilaray people. Knowledge holder Rosie Bumble Armstrong Lang told us on the topic of the Pilliga that it's important because it's where every plant exists for the nation. It's like our Garden of Eden. If we don't protect it, we lose everything. The forests contain close to 300 sites of significance to the Gomorrah peoples, including campsites, grinding, grinding grooves and ceremonial slash burial grounds. The construction of the plant will lead to the destruction of parts of the Pilliga forest, inevitably causing cultural and ecological harm. Other core concerns about the Narrabri gas project are that it may cause significant environmental damage, particularly to local surface water and groundwater sources. And it could impact the health of local residents and is in a precarious position as it is situated in an area at risk of unmanaged bushfire threats. 
Traditional owner and activist Polly Cutmore has relentlessly opposed the proposal since its inception, stating that the Pilliga Forest and water is an important place for the Gomorrah people. We believe in the healing power of those waters and have historically used it for medicinal purposes. Our water is precious to us. We cannot allow further destruction and alienation of our country and water. Grassroots activists suggest that investing in a renewable energy source instead of gas would mitigate the risks posed by the plant. Despite the public backlash, the project was approved in September 2020 by the New South Wales Independent Planning Commission and in late November 2020 by the Federal Minister for the Environment, Susan Lay. Light pollution is not only an issue for Indigenous astronomers impacting our stellar library and our observation as astrophysicists, it is an issue for our overall interconnected knowledge systems. By pushing unnatural shifts in the balance of our ecosystem, we risk our knowledge, culture, health and the future of entire ecosystems. So in essence, this threat to the Pilligoth Forest is a threat to one of the most spiritually significant sites of Gomorrah country. It is also a threat directly to our people who live on and with country. It is important to note that below the Pilliga sandstone lies aquifers of the Great Artesian Basin, which is the largest and deepest artesian basin in the world, and is also the only source of fresh water through much of inland Australia. So this is you can see you can see why everyone's nervous, right? So due to a native title claim made in 2011 by Gomorrah people to try and protect this part of country, Santos needs either Gomorrah consent or a legal determination to proceed with this project. In March, 162 Gomorrah people voted against entering into an agreement with Santos. I think there was only a approval of two votes compared to 162. And they, in this process, were rejecting allegedly a very large financial offer from Santos to consent for the pillaging of country. And that's something that Santos has said. We have never offered this before. Oh, my goodness. Short, largest offer ever. Right. So with this refusal, the matter is now going to proceed to the National Native Title Tribunal. Refusing this offer is also very significant, apparently. like So obviously, it sends a very clear message that, you know, we're staunch and we can't be bought. But I was learning that apparently it now runs a risk of if the tribunal approves of this um, gas plant that's going to cause ecological harm, cultural harm, and is uh, on uh, spiritual grounds and uh, is on grounds that are above <laughs> one of the largest water sources in Australia that gives water to much of inland Australia. Um, if that is approved, Gomorrah country and Gomorrah people who have this native title claim in process for the last decade, will not are likely not to receive any financial comp- compensation. So they have refused a large offer in order to fight for country and to stand with it. And it is a gamble because if they fail in this attempt, they will receive nothing and a lot of damage will be done, which is just uh, shocking. So one of the aspects of the grounds for rejecting the claim that Gomorrah people have put forward has apparently never been argued before in disputes like this. And that ground is that is um, about the climate change related consequences of this project going forward. So the climate change uh, argument hasn't been brought in before. So I want to uh, read an excerpt from the legal submissions of 
that were made in this tribunal for this reason. And it says, the effects of climate change will cause significant damage to the environment, the economy, and the mental and physical well-being of humans if the volume of greenhouse gas in the Earth's atmosphere is not reduced. This project by Santos on Gomory Country would, if approved, contribute to greenhouse gas emissions and therefore the level of greenhouse gases in the Earth's atmosphere. This project will, if approved, therefore contribute to grave environmental harm and harm to human beings in Narrabri, New South Wales and Australia and are therefore contrary to the public interests. So that's fascinating because there are so many, I was reading a bit about it, about this tribunal approach, right? Because this is some of like the more recent developments in this. And when we wrote about it in the book, uh, you know, we're, we're writing through 2020, 2021. So the fact that it got federal, like state and federal approval at time was shocking for me. And I was, I was hoping there was some sort of ceasing. And it seems like we're in the midst of the buildup to what's going to happen in this regard. And so, um, you know, there's different reasons that you can make for why we shouldn't go ahead with the project. A lot of um, cultural uh, cultural grounding sort of came in that, that vein. But then um, from Santos's point of view, they argue that the plant is for the greater good. And so that argument against with climate change is showing that there is an impact on the greater good. It's not just impacting Gomorrah people and the people of Narrabri. This is something that's going to contribute to harm for Australia. So if you want to hear more about this issue, I recommend listening to the fourth episode of the Who's Gonna Save Us podcast, which is a collaboration between ABC Science and also Triple J Hack. It's hosted by Joe Lauder, and the fourth episode, which I'm recommending, is called We Fought the Law. And so it's with a number of guests, including Gomorrah woman Dorothy Tai, who has been a key figure in this fight so far, as well as the voices of Cara Kinchella, Solomon Yeo, Samson Vivil Fair. Roma Beth Siri and Ralph Regan Vanu and Jacqueline Peel. Uh, so I, I just I recommend uh, giving that giving that a Google. I won't try and read a URL URL for you because um, that is it's a long one with a lot of numbers and it's completely incomprehensible. Inc- Let's go with that word. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't quite sure which word I wanted when I started that sentence. I've um, started that word, but anyway. Um, but I recommend, as I said, looking up the fourth episode of the Who's Going to Save Us podcast with ABC and Triple J Hack, uh, which is called We Fought the Law, to hear more about that story in depth. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders, showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R every Sunday afternoon. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU.